0: Yes, I can. Good morning, everybody. How's it going? You guys doing well? Have enough coffee today? How many of you are, no, no. Get this man some coffee. (laughs) Oh, I love coffee. I love the Lord more. I love my wife, second, coffee, than kids. But you know, it's in that order. Uh, Man, I'm so excited to be continuing in our series called Yes, I Can. How many of you know there's a lot of negativity in the world? Anybody else noticed? You have a Facebook account, you notice, uh, Twitter, you notice, there's a lot of negativity, a lot of people willing to tell you what's wrong with you, why you can't, why you're not good enough, why you're not qualified, why you are not going to be able to do what God's called you to do and who He's called be who he's called you to be. But we're talking about that God wants to put a different spirit and mindset in us that says, yes, I can. You excited about that? Yes. yes. Well, before we get started today, I do have to uh, confess something to you. I don't know if anybody noticed the ducks didn't actually, we, came, we got a silver medal last night. We came in second. Yeah, go Cougs, ushers. Um, <laughs> but it's my fault. I, that's what I needed to tell you today. It's my fault because uh, last week I preached about David and Goliath and David overcomes. You know, God can help us do. Yes, I can do what God's called me to do. Uh, but this week is about overcoming trouble. And unfortunately, the sermon, it must have jinxed something and how that the interchange of faith, religion, and football that most men in Eugene think works, right? I get people, Pastor, can you pray for the Ducks this week? As if my prayers will really prevail. And I'm telling them, if it, that worked, it would've won would every game. Because I pray for you guys about five minutes a day, but for the Ducks, it's a good 35 solid minutes. <laughs> for you guys, I'll do like a walk, pace, pray, but for the Ducks, it's full on, on my knees, hands and knees. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. But today I'm going to talk about overcoming trouble. Yes, I can overcome trouble. And uh, I know you're going to be encouraged today, but you might be discouraged before you get encouraged, okay? So bear with me. But we're going to talk about trouble. How many of you know that sometimes you're looking for trouble and you find it? Am I right? Somebody's like, that was my 20s. Uh, But other times you're not looking for trouble and trouble finds you. You ever have this experience? I remember a couple years ago, Bethany and I were working at the same place, and we were both invited not to work there anymore, and <laughs> we found ourselves in a state of um, excited about a new opportunity that would be provided to us uh, in another way. <laughs> we got fired. Anyways, there we were, and uh, we were, we were uh, just looking for a good bowl of pasta. I'm Sicilian, so my life is basically Ducks football, Jesus, loving my wife and kids, and looking for a good bowl of pasta, Right? And so we were up living at our house up off of Bailey Hill Drive in South Eugene near New Hope Christian College. And uh, I remember my parents said, hey, we're in Harrisburg, we're at a conference, but we're going to cruise up to Corvallis and we're going to go to the old spaghetti factory. How many of you know the Holy Spirit is speaking? Mm. Yeah, so they're like, do you want to come get some food? And uh, yes, we do want to get some food. The answer to do you want to eat pasta is always yes. It's never another answer. It's not maybe, no, it's always yes. So we decided, yeah, we're going to go get some pasta. So we told our kids. We have three kids. Uh, we got you know, load them into the back seat of the car. Everybody gets a car seat. We're going to go and meet Papa and Grandma and get some pasta. And we get to the bottom of Bailey Hill. And all of a sudden, our transmission goes out. We come to a stop. And uh, we're just sitting there. We don't have a job at this time. And our car now is broken down. It's not running. And people are uh, uh, honking at us. And I'm like, God bless you, you know, behind <laughs> us. And the kids are crying because, you know, with Italian children, if you tell Italian kids you're getting them pasta, you better believe there'll be hell to pay if pasta is not happening uh, here right away when they want it. And so my kids are crying and then it starts to rain. It literally did. It started to rain. And I looked over at Bethany and I, and, and I could feel my spine actually disintegrated a little bit. It just turned to liquid and kind of slumped in my chair. And we found, uh, we weren't looking for trouble, but trouble found us. So our car luckily had a thing called limp mode. We were able to go five miles an hour with all the very nice people honking at us, letting know they were supporting us. Ha, <laughs> we're for you guys. <laughs> God loves you. <laughs> have a nice day. That's what they meant by those, the horns. <laughs> we were able to limp it over to a shop and, uh, and move out of that trouble. Somebody loaned us a car. My parents came and we didn't get Italian food, but we got Thai food. So praise God. You know, there's always... It's always darkest before the dawn. We didn't get Italian, but the Lord, when he closes the door, he opens a window, right? We got Thai food and it was good, uh, but we weren't looking for trouble. And it reminds me about Jesus uh, talking in, in John 16, He said, I've told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. And he says, in this world, you will have trouble. I rebuke you, Jesus, in Jesus' name. <laughs> Wait a second. That's Jesus saying that you're going to have trouble. How many of you know that you, you might not be looking for it? But Jesus said, it's going to come looking for you. It's unavoidable. You will have trouble. How many of you know? If you've been around for a little bit, you weren't looking for it, but it found you. Other times you were looking for it and you found it, but it comes. He says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus said, we're going to have trouble. Here's the thing. in, In the real world, it doesn't work like a fairy tale. In the Disney movies, there's always It always starts really good, and there's the princess and the prince, right? It always starts really good, and then it gets bad, and there's always a bad guy or a bad, it's a wizard or a witch. It's always somebody evil, and they have magic. It's always both of those things together. It can't just be a regular evil person. They also have to have magic, you know, in the Disney movies. And so it gets really bad, and and Jafar or whoever, the bad guys in the fairy tales, they do their thing, and they, you know, they're all mad. And bad things happen, but then it gets better, right? And the prince and the princess get together. And then it says at the end of every fairy tale, what? They live happily ever after. How many of you wish that life was like this? There I was, I was 17 years old and things were pretty good. And then they got really bad. But then when I turned 30, all my troubles were gone. And Prince Charming was there. And I lived heavily, I lived happily ever after happily ever after, but that's not the way the world works. There's that picture you see on social media of my plan for my life, and it goes up and to the right, and then it shows God's plan, and it's this up and down and twisted and backwards, and sometimes it's two steps back and three steps forward, right? We know that life is not just this always clean and easy, straightforward progression into good things. You're going to have trouble in life, so avoiding trouble at all costs is not really the best idea because sometimes you're looking, sometimes you're not. It's going to find you. What's more important is to learn how to overcome trouble when it does come. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. And we're going to keep moving forward in the story of David. How many of you have been enjoying getting some insight into the life of David? Anybody over the last couple of weeks? It's awesome. Six people. Um, I appreciate you six. Uh, see me afterwards for free things. Um, all of your wildest. Uh, happily ever after will come true. No, I'm just kidding. But the story of David, you know, he, he, we talked about how in week one in this series about how God was able to unlock his identity. And if God can unlock your identity, he can unleash your destiny. And last week we talked about how we can do the things that God's called us to do. David shows up at the battlefield and here's this giant uh, named Goliath and David is able to defeat him. And God unleashes this powerful destiny in this young man's life and he's been faithful in the field and all this kind of stuff. And he connects with his identity. He gets to this moment, he has this great victory. And if this were a fairy tale, then he lives happily ever after. But after the chapter in 1 Samuel 17, when David kills Goliath, you think that he's supposed to have his happily ever after. He goes to work for King Saul and Saul decides to literally use David as target practice for javelins. If you walk into somebody's office, the place of employment, and you're giving an interview and they actually have javelins on the back wall, move on. That might be <laughs> That's why you come to Joy Church, to get nuggets of wisdom, pearls of wisdom like that. Just move on. Saul actually was jealous of David. He becomes insanely jealous. He starts throwing javelins at him when the this demonic, confused spirit comes on him. David ends up going on the run. So now he's become who God wants him to be. His destiny is unleashed. And in our natural way, we think, oh, everything's going to be just rosy and perfect, but it's not. And David actually has to go on the run and he's on the run out in the wilderness, living in caves and eating bugs and rats and with these sweaty camping trip for 13 years, nasty. I don't know why people like this. Some of you, that's like your wildest dream come true to go camping for 13 straight years. To me, it's a nightmare. But anyways, he he goes camping uh, for 13 straight years and he's completely out of civilization. He's cast away from Israel. He's, he's being pursued by King Saul. Like it's not good. David wasn't looking for trouble, but trouble found him. And we pick up this story because I wanna talk about how David, he didn't have a trouble-free life, but he knew how to respond appropriately in the moments of trouble, both the self-inflicted moments and the trouble that was inflicted upon him. So we're gonna pick this up in 1 Samuel 30. So what's happened is as David is on the run, he's actually found a place of safety and it's the city called Ziklag. And he and his men that have joined him, he has a group of, of debtors and discontented and people that were on the run like him. And they come together, they kind of become this ragtag band. And they found this place of safety in a city called Ziklag, and it's their home. And they've been off uh, with the Philistines for a time and they're coming back. And this is where we pick it up in 1 Samuel 30. It says, three days later, when David and his men arrived home at their town of Ziklag, they found that the Amalekites had made a raid Uh, into the Negev and Ziklag, they had crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground. They had carried off the women and children and everyone else, but without killing anyone. And when David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. You ever had trouble find you that you weren't looking for? And it hurts so much that you weep until you weep no more. Anybody? I remember a couple years ago, many, uh, probably How old's my daughter? Seven, so eight, nine years ago, Bethany and I were living in Medford and Bethany got pregnant. We were really excited. We waited like 10 or 12 weeks to tell people. We told our families, our grandparents' presents were being bought. It was exciting, first grandbaby on both sides and we lost the baby. And anybody that's gone through a miscarriage knows it's very painful because people don't necessarily look at it the same as if you lost your baby, but that's what it feels like to you. And it is a baby, right? It's a real baby, a human life. It was our baby that I'd spoken to and talked to in the womb. And so we lost our our baby. And I remember that one day, Bethany was laying on the the bed vertically and I came and I laid my head just several days after this took place and we were both crying and I wept and my belly was heaving and weeping until it was just dry. Like I emptied out all of my tears and I wept until I could weep no more. So I get it when they talk about that. I get it what it feels like to just be gut, agonizing wrench pulled, your guts feel like they got pulled out. You have no more to give and, I, and I, one of the things we did in that period of grief is we went to Pizza Hut and got two pizzas. And then we went to Abbey's and we got spuds. How many of you know the Lord joy comes in the morning in the form of pepperoni pizza with uh, peppers on it and dip it in ranch and spuds. And I'm like, calories, forget it, whatever. Dang the torpedoes, full speed ahead. We're gonna go move forward straight into cardiac arrest because we're gonna deal with this grief. The only way that a Sicilian knows how, we're gonna eat our way through it. So we did that and uh, it was great. It was a glorious time. And the Lord has blessed us since then with three beautiful children. Naughty, but beautiful. And, uh, <laughs> but I, I know what it feels like. How many of you have these moments? Maybe you're in this moment now. You lose a loved one. Something happens and there's trouble. Maybe your trouble isn't at that level of weep until you weep no more, but it's there. David's wives were captured. Uh, the families were taken. It says he was now in great danger in verse six, because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters. And they began to talk of stoning him. But David found strength in the Lord is God. Put a push pin in that, we'll come back to it. He found strength in the Lord is God. Then he said to Abathar the priest, bring me the ephod. So Abathar brought it. Then David asked the Lord, should I chase after this band of raiders Will I catch them? And the Lord told him, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. Let me just stop for a second and mention that when David is faced with trouble, the first thing that we see he does is he finds strength in God. David prays. You know, In our world, and I know for me, I'm working on this, but a lot of times the first response to trouble is not to pray, it's to go talk to somebody and find relief or a solving of my problem through therapy or a pill or a person or someone to help me carry my pain and fix it. And oftentimes we're neglecting to listen and and tap in and talk to God about our pain, talk to God about our trouble. Listen, God speaks to David and says, yes, go pursue them because you're gonna get everything back. How many victories have you missed because you didn't ask God what you should do when trouble came? Let's move on. So David and his 600 men set out and they came to the brook Besor. But 200 of the men were too exhausted to cross the brook. So David continued the pursuit with 400. Along the way, they found an Egyptian man in a field and brought him to David. They gave him some bread to eat and water to drink. They also gave him part of a fig newton, a fig cake and two clusters of raisins for he hadn't had anything to eat or drink for three days and nights. Before long, his strength returned. To whom do you belong? Or where do you come from? David asked him. I'm an Egyptian, the slave of an, Am- of an Amalekite. Uh, there's so many syllables in there. I don't know if I said it right, but you get what I'm saying. <laughs> My master abandoned me three days ago because I was sick. We were on our way back from raiding the Carthites and the Negev, the territory of Judah and the land of Caleb, and we had just burned Ziklag, which was David's place, his city will you lead me to this band of raiders? David asked. The young man replied, if you take an oath in God's name that you will not kill me or give me back to my master, then I will guide you to them. So he led David to them and they found the Amalekites spread out across the fields, eating and drinking and dancing with joy because of the vast amount of plunder they had taken from the Philistines in the land of Judah. This is what I imagine the people up there on the Palouse are doing right now. They're up there in their stupid cornfields and wheat fields dancing and Anyways, go Cougs. Okay, so David and his men rushed in among them and slaughtered them. Take heed, Cougars. Slaughtered them (laughs) throughout that night and the entire next day until evening. None of the Amalekites escaped except 400 young men who fled on camels. David got back everything the Amalekites had taken and he rescued his, his two wives. Nothing was missing, small or great, son or daughter, nor anything else that had been taken. David brought everything back. He also recovered all the flocks and herds and his men drove them ahead of the other livestock. This plunder belongs to David, they said. Then David returned to the brook Besor and met up with 200 men who had been left behind because they were too exhausted to go with him. They went out to meet David and his men and David greeted them joyfully. But some evil troublemakers among David's men said, they didn't go with us. So they can't have any of the plunder we recovered. Give them their wives and children and tell them to be gone. But David said, no, my brothers. Don't be selfish with what the Lord has given us. He has kept us safe and helped us defeat the band of raiders that attacked us. Who will listen when you talk like this? We share and share alike those who go to the battle and those who guard the equipment. From then on, David made this a decree and regulation for Israel, and it is still followed today. When he arrived at Ziklag, David sent part of the plunder to the elders of Judah, who were his friends. Here is a present for you taken from the Lord's enemies, he said. The gifts were sent to the people of the following towns David had visited Bethel, Ramoth, Negev, Jatir, Auror, Sifmoth, Eshm, and all the other places David and his men had visited. That's the original Hebrew. It's Bible College. Yeah. <coughs> David was a blessing to all these towns and villages. He gave some of the plunder. I want to give you a couple thoughts about this story and how we see David respond to trouble, how we see him respond correctly in the midst of very, very difficult and trying circumstances and what God is able to do through those circumstances. How many of you know that if you took it at face value, what occurred in this situation, it was pretty bad. Not only did David have an external problem, his family's gone, their city's burned, but he has an internal problem. The people that are around him actually wanna kill him because they're like, you're the leader, you let us into the situation, whatever. And David has to quickly fit, find a place with God to deal with this trouble. How many of you wanna learn how we can overcome trouble? Let me give you these thoughts. Number one, you can be in the will of God and still encounter trouble. Sometimes we think that trouble only comes when we're doing the wrong thing. Well, I I was I was serving God and I was giving and I was, you know, serving in the nursery, but I still got sick. So I must not be in the will of God. Eh. Well, I was staying faithful to my wife, but then we had a rough patch. So it must not be God's will that we stay together. Eh. You can be right in the middle of God's will, absolutely exactly right where you should be, making good decisions, uh, living the right way, not looking for trouble. And yet it can show up on your doorstep. And isn't it just like us sometimes to go, well, if that person did things like I did then they wouldn't have this trouble. And we should be careful because guess what? We all have trouble and it's not always the result of something somebody did. Sometimes this fallen, broken world just rotates around and, it's, and it hits somebody in a way that they couldn't anticipate or expect. And how many of you would, would think it'd be better if we as followers of Jesus were a little bit more gracious and kind to lean down and help those that are in trouble whether if it's of their own design or or otherwise, rather than being judgmental about the trouble that we see in other people's lives. Just a thought. You can be in the will of God and still encounter trouble. Jesus said, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Good things happen to bad people and good people. You can be doing everything right and still get the wrong results because life is not this process where you put good quarters into the machine and good things come out. And see, that's, that's a perspective that a lot of Christians buy into is this like fairy tale gospel or fairy tale mindset of Christianity. But I want you to think about the Christians that love Jesus with all their heart that got eaten by lions in the middle of a Roman Colosseum, how well that gospel is going to preach to them. Or if you look into the scriptures in the book of Hebrews, where it says these people died without ever seeing God's promises fulfilled. And you're like, I don't think we should preach that on a Sunday at church because we like comfort. We like to be safe. We like things to always work out. If I do the right thing, I get the right result. Now, here's the thing. Does that mean you should immediately go do the wrong stuff because it doesn't matter? No. The, what, what it is is this, that trouble is going to come, is your life rooted in, and bound, bound to the, the word of God and rooted in integrity, rooted in your relationship with God so that you can persevere and continue to have success even through trouble Or does trouble define you? You hear what I'm saying? But it's gonna come no matter what. You can be right in the will of God. So don't always look at trouble as directing you that that's saying this isn't the will of God or I'm not in the right spot. Come on, somebody. Let me just tell you, many of the best things I ever did, they caused trouble. Getting married, right? Bethany and I coming together in marriage, it brought trouble. All of a sudden, now both of us have to learn how to operate with another human being that thinks completely different than we think. There was trouble. Hello, somebody. There was trouble. Now, the good things that God has done far outweighed the trouble, and I'm so grateful, but it brought trouble. You can be in the will of God and still encounter trouble. David wasn't doing anything wrong. They, they were just coming home from a day's, the, the, you know, the day out on the trail, the day at work or whatever. They come home, and everything has gone mashugana. Number two, second thought I want to have give to you here today. Somebody liked that Meshigana thing, didn't they? Trouble is an opportunity to connect with God. Sometimes in life, when we have success, it pulls us away from our dependency and our relationship with God. But there's nothing like trouble to teach you the lesson, I need him. Come on, when everything's good, you can start saying, man, look what I've done. Wow, my business decisions are so good. My relationship decisions are so good. And everything I have is because I have done the right thing. And all of a sudden trouble comes and it knocks you right out of the boat and you're in the water and you're all discombobulated. And all of a sudden you realize, oh, what I had was a result of God. It wasn't about what I did or achieved in my life. And it teaches my heart to come back and say, God, I need you every day. In the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, he says, pray like this. Father, give us this day our daily Bread. I don't care how much money you've got in the bank account. If God is not the provider that you look to for daily bread every day, then you're putting your faith in something else and trouble might have to come knock you off the horse so you can realize it's an opportunity to connect with God. Now listen, in this moment, David, it says he found strength in God. He found strength in the Lord, his God. And I love this because this teaches us something so powerful. David saw that God was his source, his provider, David saw prayer, not as a last resort, but as a first response. I just wanna say this today. If, if we just got this today, it'd be worth all of us being here in this moment. As a church, if we could just connect with this idea that being a pray, people that pray as a first response, not a last resort. I don't know if you're like me, but I'm always looking for other people to alleviate my trouble and other solutions. And I, I'm so much quicker on Google than I am with God, to just get before God and say, things aren't good right now, but God, I wanna connect with you and bring my prayers, my petitions before you. In Luke 5, 16, we learn that Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. If Jesus had to pray, we need to pray. How many of you feel like today, you just too, you have too much prayer in your life? Pastor, I, believe, I hear what you're saying, but I need to balance things out because I'm really neglecting Netflix and YouTube and Facebook, and I just... I'm overcome with prayer. There's too much in my life. How many of you just too much prayer? No. How many of you would say, on the other hand, man, actually, God, a lot of times is my last resort, rather than my first response. You're too holy. Everybody in this room is just too righteous, too connected with God. For me, it's a reality. I'm just saying God work in me a need and a hunger and a desire to connect with you through prayer. David said in Psalms 54, four: surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. He saw trouble as an opportunity to connect with God. And trouble will oftentimes deepen our relationship with God. Don't waste an opportunity of trouble to get deeper in your relationship with God. Number three, trouble when it comes will test your integrity. In, in, in verse 21, when David's there, it says there was evil men among them. They get back to these guys that were too exhausted to cross this brook and they're like, just give them back their families because we don't wanna feed those those people. We don't want extra mouths to feed, but they don't get anything else. They get their families, tell them to beat it. And David says, no, my brothers, we're not gonna be selfish with what God has done. Let me just tell you, when you get in trouble, it's gonna test your integrity because a lot of times a bad situation looks like a good opportunity to do something bad. See, isn't it when you get squeezed that you really find out what's on the inside? When you get squeezed, you know, well, my husband cheated on me, so it's okay for me to go live with this other guy. No amens? Well, you know, my boss did this to me, so it's okay for me to curse him and say this about him because he did this to me. Do you have integrity? Are you a person of worth and value? Has God deposited anything in you? Or does trouble immediately take you out of the game where you just let down all your values. Come on. How many of you think that our culture would do better with men and women of integrity who didn't let trouble knock them off of their game? Who didn't let trouble pull them out of doing the right thing even when the moment is wrong? Let me just tell you right now, integrity is not doing the right thing when it's easy. It's doing the right thing when it's not easy. Everybody does the right thing when it helps them somehow materially or otherwise in their life at that moment. Doing the right thing when you are under the gun is where you see, do I have value on the inside of me? Now I know everybody in our culture wants a participation prize and a gold star for simply being alive, but newsflash, actually, that's not how the world really works in reality. Hello? So I could sit here and just say, you know what, just be, you know, have no values, have no integrity, do whatever you want because it doesn't matter, but that would be unfaithful to what God's word says The fact that there is a God in heaven who says this is the way that the world works and there's a hierarchy of order. He's God, I'm not. His opinions matter more than mine about what I get to do with my body on Saturday night. Anybody wanna preach today with me? Help me out here, amen, amen. (laughs) Leaving your pastor all by himself up here in my fall flannel. Okay, but God's word... teaches us values that we can either base our life upon. And when trouble comes, there's going to be a test of integrity. See, this was the test of integrity. We just got everything back and now we don't have to share. We could just hold on to what God's blessing, what he's done for us. And now you guys didn't come. So we're going to cut you out of the deal. David says, no, the wrong situation, a hard situation doesn't give us the right to drop our values. We are not going to be selfish with the blessing of God. Well, Pastor Jake, I know that I'm supposed to be a generous person, but I'm going through financial hardship. Yeah? Do you trust God with your finances even when you're going through hardship? Well, Pastor Jake, you know, I I did, yes, I did say my vows to my spouse 20 years ago, but now it's changed. Things are different. Mm Mm-hmm. You mean you married a real human being with flaws and dreams and hopes that sometimes don't always match up exactly with you and it's like you have to like die to yourself. (laughs) Wow, it's a surprise Richard. (laughs) Sometimes we get in life and we find trouble even in our own hearts and we want to do the wrong thing. Trouble is going to test your integrity but listen God wants to see a people of integrity that say come on we take the word of God we base our lives upon it and we trust God even when trouble comes. I remember when Bethany and I got uh, invited not to work at the place we were working and there was all kinds of opportunities to do the wrong thing. And other people would have celebrated it if we did. Sometimes people will cheer for you when you drop your integrity. Do you realize David could have won a popularity contest here with the 400? Think about this. You're right. We're going to throw these schmucks out. Everybody here gets an extra portion today. And here's the thing. What he would have done though is he would have derailed his destiny because sometimes the decisions you make to let down your integrity in the time of trouble is what will take you out of the game later on down the road. And I'll show you what I mean by that. Trouble will test your integrity. Number four, trouble opens unforeseen opportunities to be a blessing. David didn't say, we're gonna be selfish. We're gonna keep this between the 400. What they did is they blessed the guys that were with them that guarded the supplies, and then they go and David gives to all the towns of Judah. He provides the, the, the livestock and things who they were rated to, right? So David wasn't just holding it for himself. He was giving them back what was even theirs. Do you know who the first group of people were to anoint David King when it was his time to step into what God had called him to do? Guess who? These people. If David had let down his integrity in this moment and not, not done the right thing and returned to them, who's to say that when the time came for them to get behind him as king, they wouldn't have said, well, sorry. So you just don't know. And God is op- He uses trouble to open up unforeseen opportunities. How many of you know that the story where there was a man and he was born and he got married and he lived in a house on a field and nothing bad ever happened. And then they died and that's the end. That's a boring story. Trouble opens up an opportunity for testimony. Trouble in your life. You know, you remember the time when you were broken in addiction and broken in your life and God delivered you and brought you out of that. And now you have a story to tell, a testimony about the faithfulness of God. That trouble was an unforeseen opportunity for you to be a blessing to others. And trouble opens often; it opens up unforeseen opportunities of positioning where God is placing you in places that you couldn't see yourself Because you were avoiding pain and trouble, right? Which we do, that's okay. But God can use that trouble to position you for what he has for you. Because last thought, number five, trouble pushes us out of our comfort zone. Trouble pushes us out of our comfort zone. Let me just tell you right now, Ziklag was not David's destiny. David had been on the run for years. Of course he wanted to have a little town. I'm sure they were there and the kids would fish in the creek and it was great. It was like a... Norman Rockwell painting, Ziklag, circa 1951. You know, it was BC. There they are, and everything's idyllic. And, you know, David's thinking they're going to be riding their horses over the hill, and, you know, the little woman's going to be in the kitchen cooking up some stew. And, you know what I mean? And it's this idyllic picture, and they show up, and it's like, it's a bad moment. He'd gotten, they got comfortable. But listen, Ziklag was not the place of David's, it wasn't his final destination. He was destined to be king in Jerusalem. And you see that in the story of David that the comfort zone gets eliminated so that he can continue to step forward. How many of you know that if sometimes if our comfort zone doesn't get removed, we don't step forward into what God has for us? How many of you would say with me that most of the really good God, destiny, life, moving forward decisions and opportunities came not from comfort, but from trouble. Anybody else? Almost everything good in my life that was God doing something big in my life, moving me forward in my relationships, in the kingdom, whatever that looked like, it came from a place of trouble, not a place of comfort. And let me tell you, I love comfort. This morning, I was in my king-size memory foam bed with all my comforters and about $70,000 of electronics next to me on the on the, it just, and I could look up anything, and I was like, oh, we still lost today. Ah, throw that away. <laughs> I got my super comfortable memory foam pillow. Bethany brought coffee in, there I am. I got my blankie on, and I am my coffee, and it's comfy, and I'm in my climate-controlled house, and come on. We're pretty comfortable. And that's okay. And I go out to my living room, and I sit in my oversized leather chair, and I, now I have a lamp that I just, my foot, click, thanks, Ikea. <laughs> I don't even have to use my hands. Why, Mr. Beauregard, I do declare. I just click. <laughs> the lamp comes on, and I can read my Bible, and it's got a nice fake leather cover because I'm not rich. Come on. So, you know, but <laughs> and I sit in comfort, and I love to be comfortable. You know, today I'm going to go to Papa's Pizza and try to put him out of business at the buffet. You know what I mean? Just comfort, comfort. How I many of you are like, we like comfort, pastor. We like it, yeah. And God, God isn't upset with you loving comfort, but sometimes comfort has to go for you to go where God wants you to go. Sometimes in my life, I have to say, you know what? I can't, I'm not doing the leather chair today. Today it's on my knees. I need to get out of comfort. I need to get out of my comfort zone because God wants to move us somewhere. Let me just tell you right now, if you love Joy Church right now, as a church of four or 500 people, you're like, it's so comfortable. I love it. I don't wanna be this big church unfortunately, it's going to get really uncomfortable for you because all the people out there that Jesus died for need to be in here in family and community. And some of you that are like, you just, lo- I just love to come in and hear Pastor Jake preach. Nobody says that, but let's just make it up. <laughs> I just love to be in the Sunday service. And, and guess what? One of these days, somebody's going to come and say, and actually it'll probably be God, will say, hey, you should serve. You should get into a nursery and serve some kids. And you should, you should maybe serve on a team. And Maybe, maybe you need to serve with Pastor Kyle and Kayla in the youth ministry, and God's going to come and kind of push you out of your comfort zone. Why? Because it's not about being comfortable. It's about achieving destiny. Yes, I can overcome trouble. Sometimes trouble is going to remove the facade of comfort so God can do what he wanted you to do. Ziklag was not David's final destination. The city had to go so that they could go where God wanted them to go. And so when trouble comes, don't always say, I rebuke you in Jesus' name, Trouble. Say, God, what do you wanna do? God, give me eyes to see and a heart to reckon and understand what you wanna do through what I'm walking through. Now, listen, I'm not saying God brings every piece of trouble that comes. I know there's sickness and disease and uh, abuse and hurt and all those things, and they're not the will of God. God is not, his will is not that you would be in suffering. That's a reality of our fallen world, right? But God will also not waste an opportunity because God can make a mosaic out of the mess. God can make something beautiful. He, He brings beauty from ashes. The beauty of our God and the majestic, amazing thing about God is that God can take what looks like a tragedy and turn it into a triumph. God can take what looks like a junk and a big mess and make a piece of art out of it. Come on. And that's what God does with our lives. So when you have trouble, the trouble that does come, that will come, that makes you uncomfortable, say, God, Where do you want me to go next? What's the next step? How do I respond in integrity? How do I respond and make you my first response, not my last resort?